Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was once coming out of the supermarket and saying to one of my little boys, no, we can't do that today because daddy's in prison. So, la, la, la. and I saw three people going, <laughs> like, it's true. <laughs> anyway, hi, I'm Ali. Um, it's so lovely to be back here with you. So nice to see lots of familiar faces. Um, and yeah, if you don't know me, we lead ministry into the prison. I'm a writer and editor, mum of two very energetic boys. And um, this morning, I would like to play a little guessing game with you. Uh, take a look at me, whether you know me or don't know me. Just for context, down there are my emergency reading glasses. This may be the last time I can preach without them. Um, so, what might you think, and if you know, do not call out. What might you think I was doing last Saturday night about 10 p.m.? What's your best guess? Sorry? Studying. Ooh. All right, anything else? Any guesses? Sorry? Praying. Yep, I wish that was the answer. Anything else, anybody? Sleeping, all excellent answers, but the reality is I was at a grown-up's roller disco. Yes, I was. It was so good. And that is as long as you need that photo for. Let's get it away. Come on. All right. That's just proof. It was great. So much fun. I think my point is that whenever we meet people, we have normal just kind of assumptions or preconceptions that tend to just stack up in our minds, right? You just kind of assume you know what someone will be like or how they might react to something. But the reality is people can really surprise you, hey? So as we've been working our way through Jonah, we've discovered that theme through the book. There are these people and characters and they just don't quite seem to act how we think they're going to. So I'm going to recap for us and then we'll continue on with the book today. So we've got Jonah who is a prophet, which means he has a direct line of contact with God. He knows that God is gracious and compassionate, and this man of God turns out to be stubborn and disobedient and prejudiced and impulsive. He knows God is sending him to a people, and it makes him really angry because he doesn't like those people. Those people are enemies to his people. They are brutal and proud and powerful, and he doesn't want to go. What he's forgotten is that God is not asking him, do you think I should reach out to these people? What God is asking him is, will you go where I send you? So Jonah says, nope, and he just runs. He goes as fast as he can. He gets in a boat, and he thumbs a lift to the other side of the world. So now we've got a boat full of sailors, soldiers, sailors who are rough and ready and unschooled and pagan and the sailors turn out to be morally superior and more spiritually discerning than our prophet Jonah. These guys as soon as they discern God in what's happening they are fearful and aware that he's at work. They risk their own lives rather than throw Jonah overboard. They're trying to row for sure and then when it turns out that God is in it, they make vows to him and they worship and they turn to him. And then our prophet Jonah gets thrown overboard because this is the only way it can be resolved and he ends up in the belly of the fish. Finally, he prays. And he, he prays this prayer, which if you were around and saw this last week or you've read it before, is not the best prayer of repentance I've ever read. There's not that much remorse. But admittedly, he does say, okay, God, I submit to you. I'm going to do your thing, and I'm going to make good with you. So he decides to go. So already we can see that knowing God, and actually even hearing really clearly from him, 
is not the same thing as having your heart submitted to him or going in obedience. So we're going to carry on from there today. So our passage today continues. As God seems to accept Jonah's prayer and the whale vomits him back out onto the beach. Lovely image for you. And Jonah kind of continues, and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's city into the journey, day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so he won't perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So now this time, Jonah obeys. And what we see here is the act he only gets one day into the task. He brings this incredibly short message and immediately there's citywide repentance. How does that happen? Can you imagine going out from here today, you start walking through Bedford and calling out the gospel and every single person falls in repentance before God. It's hard to see how it happened, right? Particularly because we have this stubborn and slightly grumpy prophet and a really short and uninspiring message. But what I noticed when I was reading this is it says Jonah delivered the message and the Ninevites believed God. So the spirit of God was on his message. It was God's message. And the Ninevites believed God. Every heart turned because they were ripe for repentance. I've got a number of friends who I love a lot and who don't know Jesus. And I feel so inadequate when I speak to them about my faith. I try to be really open and speak freely. But I often just get that feeling like I'm not doing a good enough job. But what I see here is that as Jonah obeyed God, he only got a third of the way into the mission, and that speech changed a whole city. So that encouraged me. The Ninevites didn't believe because Jonah gave the best preach that had ever been heard to man. They didn't like turn and follow this incredible leader. Actually, he was obedient, and they believed the truth of God's message. So our responsibility is we proclaim the good news, and the outcome is between that person's heart and God. It can be hard enough, can't it, to have your kind of radar ready to share. And that's with the people you know. But the challenging thing here is Jonah was literally sent to the last people he wanted to go to. God required Jonah to go to these people. And it says all of them, from greatest to least, 
put on sackcloth. So it was every person who recognized their sins against God. That is from the powerful tyrant to the penniless widow, from the servant to the landover, landover landowner, or from you know the basically decent person to the violent murderer. Nobody was above or beneath the need to humble themselves and repent before God. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says, and all are justified freely by his grace. All are justified freely by his grace. While Jonah was busy judging who should get to hear this message, 120,000 people who were ready to repent were left in their sin and their mess. Jesus constantly challenged the preconceptions of religious leaders about who he should spend his time and give his attention to. And he challenged the conceptions of his own followers, right? He was constantly doing things that disciples didn't expect and talking to people they didn't think he should talk to. But you know what? Jonah didn't get to decide. The disciples didn't get to decide. We really don't get to decide. Nobody is above or beneath the message of grace from God. We are called to every single person who doesn't already know and love him. Even the powerful and unpleasant ones, even the undeserving and difficult ones, the person who's offended you or is prejudiced against you. You know, we don't get to decide. And the lesson that I see from Nineveh is we also don't know how they'll respond. How are your motivation levels for sharing with your unfavoritest of people? How are we doing with that, guys? I've really got to ask myself, am I actually any more obedient than Jonah? Anyway, <laughs> silence in the room. I'm going to leave us with that uncomfortable thought. We're going to circle back, don't worry. So let's move on. This weekend, we've had the king's coronation, as Simon mentioned, and whatever our various feelings about the monarchy, those images of a king paint this, paint this powerful picture of someone kind of at the center of all the attention in these royal robes which communicate status and wealth and power. They're kind of all over the paper and the news today. And there's this striking image of what that what that looks like in the stately robes of a kingdom. But now the king in Nineveh wasn't just a figurehead with limits on his power. He was the ultimate power in one of the most influential cities of his time. So his royal robes communicated absolute power and wealth and status. He was the boss. And it seems to me that there's something for us when we read this message, that when the king of Nineveh hears the message, he has revelation and the fear of this God who he's wronged falls on him. And his instinct is to leave his throne, remove his robes and sit down in the dust. Instinctively confronted with the real king, he moves the robes off him and gets off his throne. That desire to be ruler of our life is surely at the heart of all human rebellion, isn't it? It's that, that taking over, I'm going to be in charge of my decisions. It's my life. It's my money. It's my time. I'm going to decide. I'm going to choose. 
You know, we place our feelings and our hurts and our comforts and our needs right at the center of everything. And that becomes the most important thing in the room, my life. And actually, that is our culture. Even as I'm saying this, it feels like it grates again. It's like, yeah, it is my life. It is my time and my money. I do get to make the decisions. And on that throne, whether through pride or our own insecurity, we wrap around us these robes of identity to communicate our worth to the world. We're in a culture that is obsessed with image and identity and showing who you are to the world. It might be your job title. It might be whether you're single or in a relationship or have kids. Maybe it is your, I don't know, your dress sense, your music taste, or your achievements and your abilities. It's like we're constantly communicating, this is me to the world. This is who I am. This is the bit I want you to see. We create this kind of desirable narrative about ourselves. But it becomes like a place for us to hide. Now, this passage is talking about people who didn't already know God, but I know for myself, even as a believer, actually one of the hardest things is to get off that throne of control and self-centeredness and lay down my robes of identity and self-protection. It was at university that I first really struggled with uh, doubts and questions about God. And I started to look for that security in other places. I was doing an English literature and creative writing degree, and I loved the writing, and I was good at it. So that became this place of security for me. My writing became the bit of me that I was happy with, and that was the bit that I would show to the world. I was battling all the time with feeling confused and unhappy about God, feeling unconfused and unhappy about who I was, struggling with my weight and how I looked, struggling with what people thought of me, and so I wrapped around me my writing and my abilities, and that was the identity I ran with. So when I left university, I graduated with a first, and with, I went to a job, and I was writing my first novel, and I was leaner and trimmer than I'd ever been. And actually, on the outside, it looked like I was a real success. I was doing great. But on the inside, all that was just a shell. There was a mess on the inside. And ironically, the more I wrapped those robes of protection around me, the more insecure I became and the more of a mess I realized I was. I just got wrapped up in control. Listen, the problem was not that I was achieving. God does not oppose success. You can be wildly successful and still completely living in obedience to God. The issue was that I was self-reliant and I was on the throne and God opposes the proud. It was all about me. Nineveh was a huge success. But its people came to this realization that God could overthrow their city in a heartbeat. His anger was burning against their pride and sin. And they discovered that anything you build outside of God's will, is just like a sandcastle in the waves. I've got a little image to represent this, I think. My boys took ages building up a very impressive sandcastle with defenses around it and um, they kind of built this huge thing it was really impressive I was taking photos and Mike even threw himself in front of it as the last line of defense I think it took about four waves to destroy the sandcastle completely <laughs> but you know that's the way isn't it what we here you go here's my picture <laughs> it was a beautiful sandcastle <laughs> 
thing is we can put in our greatest efforts to build an empire, but if we're not building it for God, it's just a sandcastle in the waves, right? Whether the life you're building currently looks more like a castle or a lean-to shack, the question is, who are you building it for? Why are you building it? The Ninevite king in the story was also confronted with this truth about who he was and what he was building. He was used to seeing himself through the eyes of affirmation and fear from those around him, and suddenly he saw himself through the eyes of a perfect God. And his response as he sees that is to sit down in the dust and cover himself with sackcloth. Now, if you're not familiar with sackcloth, it was like a an outward representation of grief and mourning and guilt and shame. He covers himself in that shame. And I wonder if for some of us, the reason we avoid that exposed and vulnerable place where we take off those robes is actually a fear that is rooted in shame. I don't want people to see what's under here. That fear of exposure and rejection We don't want God to come in there. We don't want people to see under. We're afraid. If you do something wrong, a feeling of guilt is good. It's good. It means your conscience is working. It means you feel the dirt of it. That's not who you are anymore. You feel conviction, you repent, and you make right with God. That's good. It's meant to be that way. But the enemy loves shame. He says you did a bad thing because you are bad. You're going to stay that way. It's who you are, and you can never get free of it. Why even try, right? It is condemnation that says you cannot change. The enemy wants to keep us bound in secret and in the dark. He says, take that sin you feel and just put it away. Just hide it over here. No one has to see that. But you know, shame grows in the dark. We are children of the light, called to walk in the light. And shame and secrets have no place. God has got freedom for us. Sometimes that fear of exposure becomes more motivating than making right with God. Just think for a minute, is there anything in your life right now that you just feel shame over I'll close my eyes I'm not going to see your reaction (laughs) listen I imagine at least half the room probably had something just pop into their head right now that year after uni I realized I was just lost in shame I knew that I had to get right with God but I was like oh how do I even where do I start And then one day I had this thought, you know, I grew up in the Church of England and we had these set prayers that are called liturgy and they just walk you through your faith and confession and what you believe. And I just started to pick them up and every single day I would express my faith, I would repent and it talks you through repenting of things you did on purpose, things you did just through weakness, things you did through ignorance and then it walks you through repenting to God and then receiving his forgiveness and walking free in the light. And as I started day after day to speak out my faith and my thankfulness and my confession, it was like the lights just started going back on inside. I started to realize, oh, he's got freedom for me. This is the truth. This is who my God is. 
It's so good to regularly confess before God. You don't have to use those set prayers, but we've got to be bringing our stuff, getting down in the dust and going, God, here is the stuff. Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So in the passage, we see this king encounter the truth about God. And before he even knows who this God is, he says, maybe he'll have compassion and he'll relent. We're not in that position. Or if you are today, I'm here to tell you the truth. Our God has compassion. We know his nature. Because there was another king, wasn't there, who left his throne of authority and power, who took off his robes of worth and status. He came and got down in the dust. He took on shame. And he did that because he took on our shame. He was the ultimate example of laying it all out there in obedience. And he carried that shame all the way to the cross and he put it to death when he died. Your shame has been put to death. Don't take it back off him. (laughs) He came in love to put your shame to death. Listen, you might be feeling like you've messed up or gone too far. But the Father never leaves us in the sackcloth of our shame. That isn't the end of the story. He covers us in his royal robes. See, there's this great exchange as we lay down our man-made cheap robes of identity and humble ourselves. He hands us the royal robes of heaven of being his children. He lays his identity over us. You know, Jesus tells that story. He talks of a son who rejected his father and insulted him in the worst ways possible and went off and lived wildly and brought shame on everybody. And he comes back in his remorse and he comes back to his father. And before he can hardly get a word out, the father runs out to meet him. And do you know what it says? He called for the best robe. The father calls for the best robe and he places it around the shoulders of this stinking, shameful son who has just started to turn back and he places the best robe on him. (laughs) A few weeks ago, Phil Wilthy spoke about Jonah turning away and he showed us how disobedience creates distance between us and God. But you know, the end of that story is obedience is an invitation to intimacy with God. When we're obedient, it's like an invite to the party. It's like reaching out to take the best robes. We think this story is kind of about Jonah, and it is. He was God's messenger, but it's actually about the 120,000 people God had a plan to save, a city he was going to transform, a boat full of sailors who he had this plan for. So often we're letting ourselves get distracted and discounted and we're hiding, but who knows what can happen if we fully submit and be obedient. You might feel like a little pebble in a pond, but God is responsible for the ripple effects. It's between them and God. We be obedient, he does the rest. 
Last time I preached, I mentioned that a friend of mine who I've known for years, um, and I thought I'd been really open with, about didn't know these specifics about Jesus, any of the specifics about Jesus. And since then, I've been really trying to listen in the moment and be open and say what I think God is saying. And um, we were chatting again a couple of weeks ago, and um, I kind of very nervous and awkward, and I don't want to put anybody off. And I was just like, okay, uh, um, do you want to come to mind sometimes and we can look at who Jesus is and kind of some stuff about faith? She was like, yeah, that sounds great. Okay, cool. And then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to my other friend who we also know. And I said to her, listen, I've chatted to our other friend and she said she's going to do this. I just wondered if you wanted to join us. And she was like, yeah, that, yeah, that sounds great. I'm totally up for it. Okay, now I've got to do something, guys. <laughs> I'm like now getting nervous about what am I going to say. But of course, we've learned it's not about me having the perfect words, is it? I can't predict how they're going to respond. Do I know if they're going to run into their father's arms? That is between them and God. But guys, I want to get at least a day's walk into the city. You know? I want to speak the message of grace and truth. I want to be obedient. I think for some people, the hardest thing is to receive those robes and believe he has them for you. We need revelation from him. Because what party are you inviting people to if you haven't been there yourself? <laughs> God's inviting you to the party and he's inviting you to bring everybody else with you. We need revelation of the robes that the king has chosen to place on our shoulders because he was willing to lay down his. So listen, there's a few things that I would just love us to do. Um, and the first is just to circle back to that little awkward place where I left us before. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a minute, if you're willing. And um, we're just going to ask God if there's anybody that he is wanting us to speak to is there anyone he is calling us to and guys if someone just popped into your head and you thought no and immediately thought that can't be God I just want to raise the question could that be God that person who you don't really want to speak to or you think doesn't want to hear from you who knows maybe you'll get five words into your message and the whole city will repent Yeah, Father, I want to pray over these people we have in our mind that we would neither discount ourselves nor discount them. Help us not to choose for them or for you. Help us go in obedience, God. And then there's two other things that I would just love us to respond to. And I think it's different for different ones of us depending on where we're at in this with God. You know, the first is that we're all called to humble ourselves. And you may have never done that before with God, or you might have done it 300 times, but his response is the same, thank goodness. So today is a chance just to lay it down again. Feel like there are some people who, even as I talked about building sandcastles or laying down identity, you knew what it was that is creating that distance and keeping God and others at arm's length. I wonder if maybe you could stand with me we're going to take a moment of 
maybe you could stand with me. Yeah. Oh, everybody. So sorry. How about everybody stands with me? Sorry. We're going to take a moment just to picture those things. What are the things you've been building or wrapping yourself in that God is just saying, look, come and lay it down again. Come and lay it down before me. I don't know if you're used to responding in this way or whether this is new to you, but if you want to just picture in your mind what those things are, you can just imagine putting them down and going, yeah, you know what, God, I'm going to submit to you. I want to make right with you this morning. You can confess in your heart. You can confess to someone you know. But don't get sat in the shame. And as we do that, I'm going to give us a moment to respond to what God wants to give us this morning. He has a royal robe for you. Do you believe it? Are you willing to receive it? He has a new identity. So we're just going to take a moment. I'm going to give us a pause just to ask God to give us a picture or a word or just to put revelation in our heart of that royal robe that he has for you this morning, that new identity that is all about his righteousness, all about what he has done. Let's take a moment to do business with God in our hearts. This is a good morning to walk in the light. God, I pray for each person who is choosing to lay something down before you again and coming humbly to confess. God, we bring all our mess and our junk, like Damien said before, and we hand it over in gratitude that you've taken it. You've done the work. You've finished it, God. Lord, we choose to believe that and to receive your forgiveness this morning. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And his grace is free for all who truly repent. <laughs> Even you. And now let's receive from him. Father God, I just pray that every heart in this room will be open to the gift of grace that you have for us. Holy Spirit, would you come in the way only you can and just put revelation in our hearts, God, that you lift us up. You are the lifter of our heads. Would you lift us up and let us receive the royal robes that you have for us? It's worth even asking God, God, can I see the thing you're giving me? As I lay down that junk, what do you want to give me? For me, sometimes I'll get a picture in my head or a word or it's just a feeling. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come now and reveal yourself to us.